are so shook. I'm a thousand percent sure that we've talked about the fact that I have eaten oysters. In the I know that you have, but it's something you only do when you're drunk. That's what I was under the impression, at least. Uh, well, yes, that is usually the impetus. The first time it ever happened <laughs> was, yeah, because it was like, oh, like oysters pair very well with sparkling wine. In case listeners of this podcast hadn't learned, sparkling wine is my favorite pairing. <laughs> um, it's everyone's favorite pairing, or it should be. If it's not, get out. Truly. This is making um, it a really niche market for people who can listen to this, by the way. I'm not saying it's got to be like champagne champagne i'm like cobble dude yeah, a little cava up in there bish that stuff's cheap my one of my favorite kavas is 13 dollars. that's some and quality delicious thing right there yes that's, anyway in this economy that makes sense in this economy so we were in gibson's home of the beachcombers television show if you were from the 70s <laughs> did you go to the blackbird liquor store highly recommend no we went to grandma's pub and the liquor store there not as good no very bad it was the classic thing where it was like the woman was like oh like have you tried this like it's very good and like recommending stuff and then at the end we both left and we're like she definitely doesn't drink like that woman had no idea what she was talking <laughs> about oh that's my favorite <sighs> but yeah I'm deeply offended when stuff like that happens because like I don't know everything that I should about like wine and alcohol in general but it's like it's something that people pay like a lot of money to learn about and it's quite like there's a lot of interesting stuff about it and you can't just fake your way through it I'm so sorry please continue I'm just bogarting the conversation yeah we're trying to tell like a nice quick story not happening no Um, so we went to Smitty's Oyster House which was it was great have you been yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was super fun. First of all, like the initial service was like rough because we called. We're like, hey, like, will you have space for two like tonight? And the woman was like, no. (laughs) And we're like, not even like later. Like we put our name on the list. She was like, no. (laughs) It's like, it's impossible. We're like, okay. I don't understand. So then we went there and put our name on the list and got like the last seating at eight o'clock and it was fine. But it was very much like. What? (laughs) That's such a bold choice to do that, ma'am. So yeah, so we did get in. Blake ordered a fuck ton of oysters. Good for him. And he was like, these are delicious. You should have them. And so instead, after I'd already like tried all the sauces, which is just like my usual move of just like putting mignonette like on my plate. Love. <laughs> like lapping it up like a cat. <laughs> um, people at home think I'm joking, but I'm not. Um, yeah, I was just like, you know what? They're local, like these cushies. They look mm. so oystery. West coast, best coast, you know. I mean, a little bit. So yeah, so I had the first one. It was just like the little, like, you just... Yep. And, which I've actually learned is potentially... In- really? Oh, well, things to hear about soon. We will get there later. Uh, and then I, like, actually chewed the second one, which... I'm happy that I did because I've learned more about like the flavor and I was like, oh yeah, like this actually just like tastes like the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like I really get the, all of, all of it. But then there was like a bit of a crunch, which I thought was organs, which was very concerning. But then later I was talking to Sophie and she was like, no, that's sand. Yeah. Aww. Which I actually feel better about. I'm glad to know that I was eating sand. Yeah. Oh, poor thing. Just thinking you're crunching through. Oh. 
Yeah, it was not as pleasant. Mm. Then I had like an eighth of a scallop, which was delicious. Mm. And I'm concerned that I'm going to just only want scallops. But then I could just eat like a stick of butter and that would be the same thing. Pretty much, yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I could eat a whole one. That's fair. And you shouldn't feel like you have to. I will happily eat them if we're ever together. But actually, also, then again, as I was telling this to my parents, my dad was like, actually, like, this part of the scallop that you eat, just like a very small muscle. Like, it's not like it's like organs or like it's whole body, because the organs and whole body are the parts you scoop out. Yeah. It's so interesting, too. When we were in um, Chile, went to a market and saw, like, it's just, it's a different, like, look to the way that they serve them, I think. But it has, like, a lot more of the actual scallop on there. And I was like, oh, shit, these come with other stuff? I'm an idiot. (laughs) I know. I mean, we're so used to the way that we This is the trouble. We only see how food looks like in grocery stores or in restaurants, and we have no idea what it actually looks like, and then we're ill-equipped to be survivalists. I like that that's the hill you're going to die on now. It is. I'm worried about it. Um, as we should well, be. But yeah, um, so all of this to say, I'm a vegetarian who's eaten oysters, and our topic today it is, oysters. in fact, oysters. Yay! Welcome to Pantry Staples. The podcast where we dish on your favorite foods. I'm Emily. And I'm Marika. May I start you off with a quote? Please start me off with a quote. So, Mr. Jonathan Swift, he was a bold man that first ate an oyster. I feel like we had to start with that. I'm sure you encountered it numerous times in your readings. Only once, but it's great. Really, it's... I it was every other fucking article for me. Anyway... <laughs> So let's talk prehistoric, bitch. Um, Oysters, as well as other bivalves in their family, have existed for the past 500 million years. So since the Cambrian era. Uh, The fossil record shows that they're considerably larger at this point. So up to three feet for some of them and about 20 pounds, which is bonkers. That's insane. Right? And the fact that, like, we have actual fossils that we see of this. So it's not like these are just guesses and estimations and stuff. Like, this is someone took a tape measure and was like, oh, yeah, three feet. Uh, anyways. And, and and they look the same. Yeah. It's not like it's like a... The, on yeah. the size difference, they're visually almost identical. I have a picture that I'll send you. It's pretty nifty. Anyways. So... That's the earliest oysters that we're seeing. The earliest evidence of oysters being consumed by humans is currently from a cave in South Africa. The excavation of this cave dates the remains to about 164,000 years ago, and it shows a pile of shells that tell us that oysters and other shellfish were enjoyed as part of this early diet. So they have, like, all the, like, just a bunch of different, like, seashells of sorts that people ate, and they're just, like, in a cave. Super neat. They also have, and I know that this isn't what they were used for, but they also have, like, rudimentary stone blades. And a part of me thinks that they were shucking them in there, but I know that that's not how they did it. But it's a cute visual, isn't it? Just, like, a little caveman just being like, oh, yes, and I, I too, shuck an oyster. And, like, very properly cleaning it, oh, yeah. putting them on the half shell, whole yeah. slice of lemon. Yeah. Mm, nope. <laughs> uh, there was not a mignonette in, or mignonette, <laughs> I couldn't even talk, uh, in these caves. So how they first probably ate them was literally just like you get them from the beach, you smash them on a rock, you pick the meat out, and then you plug it back. But one thing that was really interesting um, is that we see oysters that are being cooked over the fire probably being the most common way of eating them because that Uh. opens them up so then they don't need to like break them to do it. They In the archaeological record, there are shells that have scorch marks on them because they were on flames. So that's super that makes sense. And sorry, how big are they at this point? Are they like? I would say they're more typically 
the size that we would assume them. But I would say, um, I, I should preface that by saying they're like a, an, they're an edible size, like not a like a fucking massive piece of shell. They're like mm-hmm. an edible, like handheld thing, but they're yeah, not but... to say as small as we're used to seeing them today. Yes, because... which actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, just yeah. because things that we'll discuss later. Fossils of oysters can be found throughout the Stone Age, so that's 2.5 million years ago to 9600 BCE, just in coastal settlements all over the damn place. Like, we just see so many effing shells. Oh my gosh, I was supposed to not be swearing. That's... Okay, we're working on it. So I think this shows the breadth of consumption and that this is a really long-standing practice. So again, the the spread of these shells and also just the time frame that we're working with really shows these are so integral to the diet. Um, Uh This is probably because oysters are such an easy source of protein at this point. They are found in shallow waters. They're not going to fight you. You literally just go in there and scoop them up with your hands and then you can eat them. Like, why wouldn't we be doing this? Um, Anyways... So beyond the fossil record, now we're getting into more like modern times, sort of. Uh, we see written records of oyster consumption in ancient Greece and Rome. The best part of history for some. Uh, and best part to look at for me. Anyways, in both these civilizations, they're being consumed by the elites, which makes sense, I suppose, in our minds from what we see oysters as. Uh, in Greek culture, oysters are so important that they're actually cultivating them by scattering pottery sherds in the waters where oysters are found so that the little tiny oyster babies can like latch on and use those as their little houses. Um, and then these sherds are actually being collected and moved to different spots. So this is kind of the first indication of farming oysters that we've seen, which is oh, super yeah. nifty. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so these are then transplanted. That's great. We are also seeing these shells being used as uh, voting tokens. Like, they're they're so integral to life that they're actually being used as a part of democracy. Or democracy light. (laughs) Is democracy even real? Who's to say? White men in a room doing things. Just casting their oyster shells. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, you know, the real 1% democracy. Uh, Anyways, we also see in myth a lot of references to... Uh, oyster shells the most significant obviously being Aphrodite being birthed out of an oyster shell which kind of gives us the origin of the idea of oysters as this like real aphrodisiac Aphrodite y'all see what they did there um (laughs) fun fact it's actually not necessarily that they're an aphrodisiac which obviously but there's such high levels of zinc in them that they're apparently just like really good at making you feel good so why wouldn't you want to fuck Anyways, uh, um, I also I have a whole section on that later. Okay, well, so we that can was re- all I was going to do. Circle back. Yes. Um, I did. Oh, you sent me the best article, and I only just read it like ten minutes before we started. But I am going to basically read you this article because it's so fucking good. Pardon my language again, but it's about ancient Greek comedy and like oysters and just seafood in general as like representation of genitalia. Uh, bless. <sighs> so good. So the main thing that we're looking through for these like quotes of it is Epicharmus's wedding of Hebe. Uh, there's the most quoted seafood production. Uh, so just in general, like this is giving us basically like a list of food or of sorry, seafood, much in the way that like the Odyssey is giving us a list of boats and, or sorry, the Iliad, I should say. Anyways, I'm going to read you this. He's bringing every type of shellfish, limpens, aspidoi, crabzikoi, oh, I don't know all these Greek words, kibik, Baloi, sea squirts, oysters, 
or sorry, scallops, barnacles, purple shells, oysters with their lips closed tight. They're very hard to cleave apart, but easy to devour. Um, I could go on and read this entire article to you because it's <laughs> so goddamn good. But basically, it's just like these plays had so much fun using just seafood in general, but oysters as uh, well, uh, as representation of genitalia and just making like fun seafood sex puns. <laughs> Which, bless. There's one bit in it where the guy's like, yeah, they just keep listing them, but nobody thought that this was weird. But then if you read it again and you see, like, the actual translations of them, you're like, oh, yeah, they're definitely just making a bunch of dirty jokes here. Which is all that any of these comedies really are. They're not, it's not highbrow, which is the best thing about all of Greek culture is that it's actually just very lowbrow. But that's the thing about, like, so many of those. Like, I mean, most of Shakespeare is just, like, so lowbrow. genital puns. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and like the fact that, okay, so all of those really fancy statues that we see in like museums that are like white and like billowy and like drapey and stuff, like they're gaudy as hell when you actually see the colors that they're supposed to be. Like how trash is that? It's so trash. And I think that's the great takeaway is time makes all things classy, which is why this podcast will be in the Smithsonian in 3000 years if there's still a world to inhabit. Yeah, a bunch of white guys are going to put our podcast up on a pedestal and being like, look, the clean lines. <laughs> oh, formal aspect. <laughs> I love it. Please do. Um, okay, so anyways, then obviously the Romans superseded the Greeks because, duh, they're better. Uh, oysters are still a symbol of luxury uh, at their tables. It's still an elite food, which is, again, the Romans loved an elite anything. Um, the myth of Don't Venus, we all? Which true uh roman equivalent of the goddess aphrodite it she the myth still stays focused on this oyster birth which doy um as the romans were wont to do they over harvested the oyster population and even depleted entire areas so i actually i didn't i should have looked more into this i'm not gonna lie but one thing that i wasn't 100 clear on was whether or not there was oysters that were easily accessible because when i'm thinking romans i'm thinking rome because so much of this is dealing with um like importing oysters from other of their like the places they've conquered right but do you think yeah. there was actually oysters like in rome like in the mediterranean that was it too hot for that like i can't tell i'm just gonna say right now there's a lot of research that i didn't do me too which is the theme of this <laughs> podcast we are always rushed to do this we are always <laughs> underprepared and you love it or at least if I hope you do. We hope you do very much. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. Um, but I, I think it's not unreasonable. I mean, okay, let's just... I'm gonna do a Google. Oh, please do. The answer is yes. Oh, really? Okay, good. I think, yeah. Okay, edit all of this out. Just like... Ju okay, let's go back. Hang on. As the Romans were wont to do, they over-harvested the oyster population and even depleted entire areas. They then went on to import a whole bunch of oysters from the colonized areas that they were dealing with, the places they'd conquered. They used those as secondary stores when they ran out of them in Italy. They would search their conquered territories for other catches of oysters, and they would try and transplant these back to Rome. There was varying success with this. Mainly, all of them died en route. Uh, it was not <laughs> super successful. And just like, again, the transportation of this food is tricky without refrigeration. Uh. obviously um they would pack it on ice and stuff like that to try and bring it back which worked you know so so uh anyways do you want to hear how 
Apicus, Apicius, sorry, describes this, the modern procedures of bring or like their procedures of bringing back oysters. Yeah, of course. Fumigate a vinegar barrel with pitch, wash it out with vinegar, and stack the oysters in it. So just so much pickling. I mean, nothing changed. No, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's what's so neat about it though, right? Anyways, um, so then I have a bunch more quotes because... I just only ever want to quote you some ancient historian dudes. I love it. So this one is Homer, and he's it's basically person speaking, or like it's about when Patroclus goes on and kills the charioteer of Hector, which is Cibriones. Anyways, and both his brows did the stone dash together, and the bone held not, but the eyes fell to the ground in the dust even there before his feet. And like a diver, he fell from the well-wrought car, and his spirit left his bones. Then, with mocking words, didst thou speak to him, knight Patroclus. Ha! Look you, verily nimble is the man, how lightly he diveth. In sooth, if he were on the teeming deep, this man would satisfy many by seeking for oysters, leaping from his ship were the sea never so stormy, seeing that now on the plains did he diveth lightly from his car. That's so shady. It's I love so it. so shady, but what a great metaphor, right? Ugh. Yeah, loved like, that. I killed you and it looked like you dove, bro. Like, what are you doing getting oysters? <laughs> <laughs> You're totally dead. Um, which is, I feel like, literally just what Patroclus is. Like, he, they're just all such bros. Like, this is the thing. These aren't, like, philosophical dudes and that we, like, write about. They're just bros like they might as well have their fraternity tattoo on their arm and their visor on sideways greek life exactly um anyways so now we have Pliny the elder in his natural histories who i feel like was not a bro was just a massive dork but anyways it is certain that the bodies of oysters and of whelks and of shellfish generally are increased in size and again diminished by the influence of the moon so that's a really interesting one to discuss because it's sort of when or sort of speaking to why we have the like adage of avoiding oysters in months with r's in them Uh. which is literally not about like the temperature like we all think but it's exclusively about uh when they're breeding so you want to avoid the times when they are because they're not going to be tasty you gotta wait until the winter where they're just like getting all fat and delicious yeah and not bedraggled with pregnancy Anyways, so I have more from Apicius. He says, There are many kinds of mince dishes. Seafood minces are made of sea onion or sea crab fish, lobster, cuttlefish, inkfish, spiny lobster, scallops, and oysters. The force meat is seasoned with lavage, lavage, whatever, pepper, cumin, and laser root. Is that not... What is a laser root? Please do tell. I feel like a lot of those things he made up. Like, he was just, like, saying it was, like, you know, like, those fishy sea fishy fish yeah that's exactly um anyways so those are some fun quotes just really thought you needed to hear those but like look how central oysters are to the conversation they're used enough to make a sick dish or you know they're a recipe that some dude wants to tell you this that and the other you know so all over the place but again what's so interesting about this is that they're still definitely a food for the elite even though they are so ubiquitous but i suppose what we could say to that is that all of these authors are definitely speaking to the elite for the elite so there's that yeah well okay so actually are you are you done with that point i'm not done forever (laughs) i'm never done 
ever done. Well, okay, so we're, I'm going to tell you very briefly about the fact that, like, when oysters were first in, like, so like the early modern era, mm-hmm. like 18, 19th, 19th, 20th century, they were not very much food of the elites. No, which is so interesting to see that transition happen. Oh, okay, let me, anyways, let me continue. Uh-huh. So during the Renaissance, oysters continued to be a food of the rich. We assume this was this, uh, the same during the Dark Ages. However, there's a lack of written evidence to support this as the, the record usual. doesn't really exist because people were raping and pillaging. Um, anyways, one thing that they do note is that workers that harvested oysters had to work like a much harder to get the same supply level. So that's uh. interesting. Um, so then Gulliver, or sorry, Jonathan Swift, who has our lovely quote, he wrote Gulliver's Travels, and it depicts his main character harvesting oysters from the sea near him to preserve his uh, supplies. Swift even penned instructions for how to boil oysters. Take oysters, wash them clean, that is, wash their shells clean, and put the oysters in an earthen pot with their hollow sides down, and put this pot in a kettle of water, and so let them boil. Your oysters are boiled in their own liquor and not mixed with water. Just so much good advice here, right? Anyways, so that's what I am getting to the 18th and 19th century, which I will obviously yeah. let you touch on, but I would just thought I'd get a little into it. Little into yeah, it. no, do. This is a time of such abundance that the price of oysters has decreased so significantly. It means that they're a staple of the working class person's table. In 1885, oysters cost a third of a, like, a, sorry, three pennies each, which is the equivalent of 73 cents today. And they dropped to a penny, which is the equivalent of 25 cents today by 1889. Uh, in New York specifically, oysters were so ubiquitous that their shells were used as part of the roads, cement, and fertilizer, which <laughs> how cute is that? They're just like, oh, we just have too many of these. Just throw them somewhere. Get rid of them. Um, oysters were a quick, quick and protein-filled lunch for workers, and with rail becoming more popular, as well as refrigeration and canning really taking off, blah, blah, blah. We have these street vendors that are selling oysters, which are you going to discuss this? No. Nope. It's so cute. So it's like the equivalent of the hot dog vendor of today. Like in big cities, especially New York and London, they had just dudes selling oysters on the street. How cute. Um, we also see oysters being served with beer as a bar snack so like if you go to uh-huh. like any place they're so cheap that they're selling them like the chips that you would get right now i also saw that sometimes they'd like give it away for free like that was the whole thing like part, where part of the expression there's no such thing as a free lunch comes from the fact that a lot oh. of early like bars and saloons would feed their patrons like a free scare quotes meal of like super salty snacks so that they would drink more beer oh, and therefore that. actually spend more money yeah that's so clever mm-hmm. in terms of a free oyster uh it is not free because it's definitely worked into the price but there's the delicious gin and tonic that you can get at boulevard that comes with a cushy oyster highly recommend that's a very popular thing i love that um, and i think it was also that was also a thing that they were doing i saw it very briefly as like a caption of one of the pictures in an article I was reading where they would like, you could get like an oyster cocktail Mm. at a lot of those like early. What did an oyster cocktail consist of? I don't know. Hmm. There was a long, like a little bit of a thing that somebody had written basically being like, yeah, like let the French have their wine, let the Irish have their beer. Like America really did spirits with their oysters, specifically Uh like having like a martini with olives, which. Yeah. That's all I ever want is some oysters and a martini. That's not all I ever I, want. I want many other things. But it's a start. Yes. 
Um, so oysters would be blah, blah, blah. Let's, where was I? Hmm. <laughs> so this is the best fact of it, though, is during this kind of time period, like the 18, 1900s, they, or century, I can't remember how it does anyway. So during this time period that we've just discussed with the oyster vendors on the street and everybody just chowing down on oysters, which is so cute. Um, it's Isn't that the most like romantic visual of New York that you could possibly think of though? Just like people like, you know, with their briefcases or their toolboxes and their lunch boxes, and then they go and they just like eat their oysters and that's that. I mean, it sounds incredibly unsanitary, which it was. everything is unsanitary we're literally in a pandemic and people won't wash their hands like anyways uh so during this time people ate on average 600 oysters a year compared to modern times three oysters a year (laughs) that's crazy yeah um i don't know if you're going to talk about this and it is a little farther than i usually go in my scope but i did just want to briefly discuss uh chesapeake bay which i thought was a really interesting will you be discussing I have like a little bit about it. Well, I only have a little bit too, if you don't mind. No, tell me about it. So part of the reason for the increased price, like for today, is the overharvesting that just runs rampant. In the Americas, before colonizing influence, the native inhabitants harvested responsibly. They did not fish in the deep waters. So that was an area where oysters were allowed to like breed and grow and like actually get large enough, which is why we're seeing such a decrease in the size of oysters today is because they're just tiny ass little things that we're just scarfing back. They actually did a study looking at, um, well, they looked at a bunch of stuff in it, but one of the things that they measured to see about the health of the population was how large the shucked oysters were. If they're quite large, that that means the population was very healthy because people were eating the larger ones as opposed to eating the smaller ones when the population was decreased, which makes total sense, but it's just a really interesting marker, right? Um, anyways, they also would, like, rotate the areas where they went and basically harvested oysters because they didn't want to exhaust one source. So, obviously, today, pollution over-harvesting and then the dredging of the ocean floor is a serious supply issue. And so, Chesapeake Bay, which is one of the largest oyster-producing areas in the whole world, super neat, has this collaboration between scientists and fishermen. So, what they're doing... Did you read this? No, I didn't. This is not what I was going to talk about. It's so neat. Okay, so the, like, a bunch of people, basically, the scientists were like we have to stop over harvesting these and blah, blah, blah. And then the fishermen were like, fuck you, don't tell us how to live our lives. We're trying to make money and that's life. But then finally it got to the point where it's like, you kind of need to both work together because this is not sustainable. Like we need to do something. If there's no oysters, you're not going to make any money. Exactly. Like it was a more of a, like they're, they're looking at the long term now, which is super interesting. And there's this project where they all kind of bought in together. They actually have to f- kick in like 1500 bucks or something. And it's basically to support the production of oyster like babies. And huh. they're, like modified which again it seems kind of weird that this is now what we're doing and there's like you know our own kind of yucky feelings about that aside but like what they're doing is they're making them sterile so i did you hear about this yeah i i'm gonna talk about the sterile oysters yeah Yeah. it's so crazy but like what a great idea in some regards because now they just have to focus on growing they're not trying to reproduce so what they've done in the chesapeake bay area is that they have like grown all these little baby guys they've basically dropped them into this area where before when they went and like uh whatever the thing you do where you go through with nets and like look for stuff i don't know Whatever. They were like, they were looking, yeah, fished, I guess, uh, to see if there was any oyster population still there. And it was a complete graveyard. Like there was all these like empty shells with nothing on them. So now Uh. all these little shells are being used to anchor these baby oysters. And the population is like, not 100% doing great, but like there's making strides on it, which is super cool. That's really nice. Yeah, isn't that the cutest? 
Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, this is the thing. So much about, like, just hearing about, like, oysters and, like, the way that they're grown. It's like you seed them. And so it's like, I I wasn't going to super go into, like, how the oysters are grown because it's, like, a lot. But I have got, like, a little bit. Mm. And so it's like you basically you get these, like, I guess they're larvae. That would make sense, yeah. And then, like, you grow and, like, you can see them and it's like you can when they're like seeds, which is how, what they're called, you could hold like 800,000, like in the palm of your hand. <gasps> like they're, and then you grow them so that they're the size of like a cracked pepper, like a, like a grain of pepper. Aww. And, and they're that small, but they're actually just like a normal, like an oyster. Like if you took a magnifying glass, it would just like look like a normal oyster, but it's just like really little. Oh, that's so... Okay, this is maybe a silly question, but does it look like an oyster with the shell on or, like, without the shell? Here's the thing. I didn't get that far in my research. I just read that line, and I was like, that sounds adorable. It does sound adorable. I feel like it would probably be the without the shells because that's when they would, like, glob onto other, like, things and kind of wrap them around. Like, they've got to, like, grow their shell. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That is so cute. So it's very cute. Oyster cultivation in general. So they've got those, like, little like the seeds Mm -hmm. and then they like let them kind of get bigger in like like smaller batches of like water like like it's it's very like interesting how they do Mm -hmm. it because it's so like they're so small and they've got it down to like such like a science nowadays one would hope they get big enough and then they can get transferred into the I think like a lot of places specific, specifically on the specifically Pacific, yes on the Pacific Ocean they use like what are called like flupsies or like upwelling machines. Oh, so it's like they put them in like these bags that like turn around in the water, which is called oh. like it's like the, they're like tumblers or it's like the tumbling method, and that's how they make kushis. Oh, really? Like a lot of. Mm-hmm. So it's like these big, like rotating bins or bags, and that is supposed to like improve their like shell, like qualities, mm-hmm. and increase flavor because it stimulates glycogen production. Apparently, that seems good. Yeah. So then I don't know. So in Canada, just to kind of backtrack a bit, there's actually two species, and this is the thing. There's like there's so many different names of oysters. Mm-hmm. Those are not different species. There's Those five are just different like- species. Yeah, the names are just, like, the brands, which I'll get to. Oh, this is so interesting. I'm going to love this. Please continue. So in Canada, there's the two species. So there's the American oysters, which is also known as the Atlantic Mm -hmm. Malapique or Eastern. Sorry, Atlantic Malapique. Or Eastern. It's like, so when you say, like, it's a Malapique oyster, Malapique, I can't even talk. That's, like, from PEI. That's what it is. Yeah, so it's just like an eastern oyster, which is interesting because I always thought that Malapique was like another Malapique. I don't know. I'm so like second guessing. I thought that that was like another like brand name. It was like a Kushi. But apparently it's just means eastern oyster, hmm. according to the like government of Canada website that I read. Interesting. Yeah, so those ones are all like in Canada, they're in New Brunswick, PEI, Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. and just like East Coast. And then uh, then there's the Pacific oyster, which is farmed in BC. Mm-hmm. The West Coast. Are they exclusively farmed in BC or are there wild oysters here? Or there, I should say. Eh, it didn't say it so on this. I, I assume so. Hmm. 
I would think so too. There's like, it seems really strange that literally every single oyster that is on the entire West Coast of that would be. I could see that like, maybe there are like very few wild oysters mm-hmm. because it was like, like the native populations have been so like mm-hmm. overfished or like attacked by other, like the invasive mm-hmm. other ones. But most of the oysters that you're going to get are farmed. Interesting. So 56% of Canadian oysters come from the West Coast. Hmm. Which is interesting because I feel like for so long, especially in like the earlier history of oysters, it was like a very East Coast yeah, thing. Yeah, very, very. But that's like totally changed after like, like the 2000s. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what else I find quite interesting about it is I feel like there's still this like push. Or maybe this is me just inferencing from, like, three things that I know. But, like, when there was that time period when, like, everybody was getting sick off of West Coast oysters. Do you remember that, like, a few years ago? Yes. Then after that, we started using East Coast oysters. And it was, like, I thought just because, like, it was safer or something. Or, like, more ubiquitous. Anyways, this is neither here nor there. Okay, bye. Okay, so, like, oysters. So then they get seeded, which Mm -hmm. is, like, what you call it. So after they've they've done their kind of, like, they sort of get to be like teenagers and they've been tumbled around. Mm-hmm. Um, then they are transferred for their final grow up phase in the ocean. So there's three different types. So there's the beach or seabed style where they're planted like on the beach or ocean floor. Is this when it's like beach oysters are the kind you use for like oyster Rockefeller because they get considerably bigger? Huge. Oh, this is so interesting. Yeah. And so like there are some companies that do the oysters like they'll put some and have them in these other messes so like a tube culture which is a way where you have the like the little oyster seeds attached to lengths of plastic tubing or rope that's like suspended down into the water from like a flotation device oh or there's also like a raft culture where they're in like a series of trays suspended down into the water and flotation devices so it's still getting like because I think part of the benefit of oysters is that they're such great like filters for the yes ocean, right? so you're still filtering the ocean you're still getting uh-huh. that like and I think that obviously the taste is probably imparted from the actual ocean as opposed to just the water going through so you're still getting all those benefits yes, yes, but yes. it's just basically a way of like controlling where they end up is that correct yeah exactly and that's the thing that's like so cool about like oysters and the reason that they're actually so good for being farmed mm-hmm. and like farmed sustainably is because first of all like you don't have to feed them like yeah you don't have to, like you just put them in the water and then they're just like delicious we'll clean out all of your toxins and like like people put oysters where there's been like oil spills and stuff and they'll like clean it up can you still eat those oysters i would not like probably not hmm. anyways <laughs> that is so interesting because a part of me has always been like a little bit why are we so mad about farmed fish again like i know that wild is better but like I don't really know the reason behind it, or at least I did, but then I forgot it. Well, it depends on, like, the fish, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like you don't want, like a, like, a farmed salmon. Like, salmon as fish are, like, long-distance swimmers. Like, right. the huge part of their life cycle is that they, like, go back to where they were that born. That totally makes sense. Okay, so then... So the it's like, it doesn't really make sense to, like, yeah. keep a salmon in, like, a little pen. Whereas, like, an oyster, what the heck is an oyster going to do? <laughs> they have places to go, people to see. Like, they could have a vast and rich interior life, but, like, it's not like they've got, like, marathons to run. I'm sorry. I'm, like, howling at the idea of a vast and rich internal life for these oysters. They just have so much going on in their minds that it doesn't even matter. 
They're thinkers, not doers. This is me, though. Like, I feel like you could put me in a room with, like, nothing on the walls, and I would just sit there completely content for, like, ten years. Absorbing and filtering the water and environment around you. Probably just farting and making it stinkier, but anyway. (laughs) Reverse. Yeah, reverse filtration. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, please continue. That's why we don't want farmed humans. Preach. Yeah, so that's, like... That is the thing that they do. So it's kind of interesting, like the the beach style, like you were saying, like those are the ones that get way bigger. Like you literally just like pop them into like the sand and they grow and then you dig them up like two years later or whatever the heck. How would you even remember where you put all of them? I don't know. Or do you just not worry about it? You're just like, eh, I pop so many things down there that if like 10 stay, that's fine. I'm pretty sure that as they're like large companies making lots of money, they'd They've got systems of tracking it. Hmm. Wait, sorry. Do, why? Why exactly do we do we have any information on why they grow bigger when they're the beach oysters? I don't. I just know that that's a thing because I heard it at Smitty's. Fair. <laughs> I wonder if it's more the fact like they're not getting like, getting like bonked around by the ocean. Oh, hmm, maybe. And then, do you know just off the top of your head if there's a difference in the flavor profile for beach oysters versus like uh? What, rack and tube? Is that the other two? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, by virtue of the fact that they're bigger, you they're would... not as good. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 like grapes and shit like that for wine. The bigger the grape grows, the more diluted it is. I read something that it's basically like something like oysters are like the champagne of the ocean or something because they're so terroir driven. Is that something? The term that I heard was marowar. Marowar! Ah! Bless. That's fantastic. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, okay, I'm I should gonna... stop interrupting. You have so much good shit to say. I don't know that I do. I'm just trying Are to you find kidding? out. This has been so good so far. I'm like obsessed with all this information. <laughs> uh oh, I read like a brief article. This is just like <laughs> my things are sort of slap and dash in like terms of organization, but it's fine. Uh I read an article about like the danger of like dangers to oysters and their habitat hmm. let's see so like just like ocean acidification mm. which causes them to have like thinner and smaller shells which makes them super vulnerable vulnerable to predation and specifically an invasive predatory snail species oh. i know called the atlantic oyster drill oh wow like, it's a snail that literally, like, goes into oysters and, like, drills a hole in their shells and, like, sucks them up. That's so aggressive. Isn't it? Oh, my. Also, I'm just, like, obsessed with the fact that, like, oysters are already, like, they're an animal, barely. Uh, but they're, like, the most, like, slow and, like, non-moving. Just, like, we're just, like, sitting here. This is us. We're oysters. And then a snail comes around and is like, what? I'm here for you. <laughs> when, like, when we think of snails, we mostly just think of them as, like doing nothing the face yes yeah i know snails are sea snails are so vicious don't they kill like a bunch of other stuff too yeah they're so evil i remember being like four (laughs) and my parents were at like a work party or something and i was just like upstairs like watching some like national geographic show (laughs) and it was like and it was like a show about like sea snails and it was like super dramatic and it was like these like giants like moon snails or something that would like yeah and like the sh- the show like showed them like going up and like eating other sea creatures and i was like 
snaps. Hmm. Snaps. That's wild. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, this one study basically found that ocean acidification has opened up native oysters to a 20 to 48% increase in predation from mm. invasive species. That is terrible. Is it just like the amount of chemicals that are going into the water? Is it like the runoff is more acidic that's going like leading into the ocean? Because that would be the water that they're getting first off is like the stuff coming into like right by the shore. Um, I mean, I don't know that they know. It's just like, uh, just the water is more acidic now. Just like, I think it just doesn't like, it doesn't allow them to grow mm. like properly, like, defensive shells but i also read or actually i was watching a youtube video the woman was like oh yeah like when we harvest them and we get the dead ones we just like chuck them back in the ocean because the calcium from their shells helps reduce the acidification of the ocean oh that's so interesting yeah oysters are such good little humans or good little things good little sea creatures they're good little creatures so let's kind of continue with like talking about the growing of oysters please i'm so interested in this so there's a whole, so like kind of talking like you're talking about the, with the Chesapeake Bay where they're growing the sterile ones. Mm-hmm. So I was, saw uh, this thing where in 1996, they started this program called the Molluscan Broodstock Program. Molluscan Broodstock, hey. Does it sound like a, like a detective novel character? I thought it sounded like a really shitty NFL team. But I also, like I like your detective novel theory. That's also very nice. So the Molluscan Broodstock Program was launched at the Hatfield Marine Science Center in Oregon. Hmm. And it was designed to uh, produce and monitor Pacific oysters to try and improve characteristics such as yield, shell shape, and reduced roughness. Oh. Why is so, the like, roughness being reduced? That's interesting. Um, well, it's two things. So there's another, and there's also, so there's the roughness, which they want like a smoother shell because then you'd like get fewer barnacles attached to them. Oh. Which. Why do you want makes, less barnacles? I don't understand that. I guess because like it looks bad and it's harder to sell, like commercially. Is it exclusively for commercial purposes though? It's not like the barnacles are like potentially dragging them down to the seafloor and it's harder to get at them or something? I mean, maybe. I feel like there's, barnacles are barnacles aren't harmful are they i have no idea they're harmful to your feet if you step on one exactly and your hands if you're trying to shuck true Mm. all right let's so say exclusively commercial this entire episode is just conjecture Mm. (laughs) look i'm gonna say it was very hard to find actual evidence research is i feel like unless you're actually doing the job of like growing oysters they're not telling nobody no no and because it's such like a commodity there's secrecy around it there's secrecy and so much about it is like about branding and like trying to like sell it so you don't want to like really advertise the fact that you're doing all this other stuff yeah or like okay this chesapeake bay article that i read basically said in there basically um (laughs) um they said that they only uh knew where they dropped all these baby oysters because they had the GPS coordinates, they had nothing to indicate it on the surface because they didn't want any pirates harvesting them. That's crazy. And that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, and I also think that because, and we'll kind of get back to this, but like oysters were like popular in like the 19th, early 20th century. But 
they kind of dropped off and were like not really a thing until like recently, like sort of like mid 2000s and like on. Really? Yeah. We have to call our moms and see if they ate oysters as kids. I know my parents didn't. Mm, well, that's specific though. Well, Actually, okay. I'm sure my well, mom didn't. No. Uh, okay, so that so there's that program. There's also let's talk about triploids, which is the sterile oyster. So it's that new type mm-hmm. of oyster that has been created by crossing a natural oyster, which has two sets of chromosomes, because that's how things work. Yeah. Uh, with a lab-produced oyster with four sets of chromosomes, called a tetraploid. So then you're mixing a two with a four? Yeah, and so like the resultant triploid has three sets of com- chromosomes and is sterile. Huh. So it's really interesting. So it's like, it's the key to it all is because oysters with active reproductive systems are like gross, which is like... <laughs> That's so rude. It's true, though. It's like, yeah, the reason, yeah, like we were talking about before, the reason you don't eat an oyster in the summer months, aka like no uh, months with the letter R in them, mm-hmm. it's because they're all just like trying to trying to get make some home. babies, and they've got like their gonads like doing stuff. I they oh, one article was like talking about like milky gonads. <laughs> No. Oysters are already, like, go-natty enough. I don't need... That's, yes, as we've heard from all of everything. We don't need more milky descriptors floating around. Okay, I'm glad that you said it about that, because I was like, are you slut-shaming these oysters? (laughs) (laughs) They're they're trying to get some. It's like, how dare you? You're so disgusting. (laughs) I only like the sterile oysters. That's how God intended it. Yeah, yeah, no sex. Oysters for celibacy or abstinence. Yes. So instead of trying to reproduce, mm-hmm. these triploids just sit around all summer getting fleshy. Ugh, me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, That's continue. Funny, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so the triploids grow one and a half times faster than normal oysters, mm-hmm. which is like great if you're just going to raise them for food, mm-hmm. which. Is what people are doing. Uh, But it does raise a lot of concerns for some people about, like, GMOs. But, like, technically, these are produced through natural natural fertilization. Because it just so happens that, like, one half of the natural, like, fertilizing partners is, like, a GMO. Isn't this, like, how if you have, like, a donkey and a horse having sex, then the result is sterile? It's a mule? Is that what it is? Is that what this is? Kind of, except it would be like if either the donkey or the horse was like made in a lab. (laughs) Everything can be made in a lab right now. But yeah, so as of 2010, these triploids account for a very high proportion of commercial hatchery oysters, Hmm. apparently. So maybe you're eating a bunch of sterile oysters. I'm trying to kind of really wrap my head around this. So in terms of these like the hatcheries and stuff having these triploids. So this isn't to say, so then we have, okay, let me categories as I can think of them. Uh You have the natural like population oysters, which we're not sure how many there are or if there even are any anymore, but potential like natural things that are, haven't been fucked with. They're just growing, they're doing their things. 
Then yeah. we have all of the farmed oysters, which is a massive category. And within that, we have some that are these two, some that are these fours, and then some that are these triploids that are then sterile. And then the sterile ones make up like most of it. Is that correct? I mean, I don't have percentages. No, that's fine. But that's the gist of it, right? I think so. And I think it's like it is more about a thing where probably like there are some farms or some producers that are only working with the triploids, like sterile oysters. And then there are some that are maybe doing a mix. And then there are some that have like certain streams that are all sterile, some that are not and some that are like, I think it just depends. But I think a lot of companies have turned to this because it's like they don't like you don't have to worry about summer production because they don't get like gross. And they grow way faster. And they've also, there have been like some like reports that say that they taste better too. Because hmm. they're like fatter. Well, or like tracks. Fleshier. Fleshier. That's what I'm going to call myself now. Emily Grayson, the fleshy oyster. It's a big fleshy oyster. That's me. <sighs> um, that's really interesting. So just... Again, this is exclusively looking at the North American population of oysters, correct? No, they were doing it like all over the one. Oh. Like the first article I read about this was actually like in France, hmm. where they'd like introduce these to like France, and the French people were like, "Hmm." <laughs> <laughs> a French response, just deep suspicion. Yeah, they're like, "Not covered in butter. I can't hold with it." Stroke my chin a bit more. Um, yeah. I read an interesting thing about how they are bringing uh, Japanese, like native oysters, into like Ireland, like a lot of the time. Oh, weird. Yeah, I didn't read too much into it because it was very sciencey. Uh, like to, like they're growing them there. Yeah, to like help with the depleted populations there. Do you want to know about obviously uh, yes oysters and food poisoning? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to tell you anyway. So Vibrio vulnificus. Ew. Uh, it's an oceanic bacterium responsible for the majority of seafood-related deaths in the U.S. It has a case fatality rate of over 50%. So this is exclusively killing off the, the sea life, is that correct? It's not the humans. It's killing humans. Oh, so like if, if a, like an oyster or something else in the sea gets this, your chances of surviving are 50%? Basically. That's horrifying! Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, geez. That said, approximately 50 Americans die per year from it. Still, So it's not, like, huge. So it's, like... Okay. So its effects are supposedly described as far back as the 5th century BCE by Hippocrates. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, where he talks about, like, a man who lived by the Aegean Sea and, like, who had, like, this, like, fatal foot wound. And then it, like, died and was, like, all, like gross like gangrenous skin and he was like yeah then he died Ew. the first clinical like actual clinical case was reported in 1970 and so it was a patient with a leg wound infected with gangrene died of septic shock after exposure to new england coastal waters whoa so it's like it's gnarly so the bacteria lodges into the tissues of like any filter feeding mollusk but like specifically oysters. Um, And infections are often acquired from eating infected raw oysters. Most infections occur during warmer months. That makes sense. Just like easier for things to grow. Is it okay for these two specific cases that you mentioned, one Uh was a foot wound and the other said after he went into the sea, 
So are these necessarily like do they contract the, or contract them not by eating but just by being exposed to the waters and the virus in it or well so it's kind of tricky it's so you like you need to basically have like a pretty high infectious dose like you need to eat like a lot or have like a really infected oyster but it's like you can get it from eating it mm-hmm. and then i think if you also have like already like a cut or some kind of like wound and then you go into water where there is like this bacteria living it can get into your skin and like make it worse and i also oh man i should pull this up <laughs> it's so crazy that like the water itself can just make you sick like i know that this is a stupid thing to say because obviously people have been getting sick from water for like the entirety of history and it's a very dangerous mm-hmm. thing in actuality but the idea of like not being able to just go into the ocean and have a nice time seems real sad well, I think, like, there's a bunch of different ways where it can get to you. And it's, like, basically, like, if you get, like, a really bad dose, then you can get a systemic infection. And then it's, like, can cause, like, sept- it basically usually die from septic shock. I don't really know what sepsis is, but every time I, like, have to go pee a little bit too much, I assume I have it. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think it is either, but I'm, like, my kidneys, they're just overflowing with urine or something. I don't know. Edit that out. That's completely incorrect. <laughs> Horrifying. Just fear-mongering based on my complete idiocy. So yes. So oysters from the Gulf of Mexico and just like general warmer waters are typically the worst in terms of carrying it. And death is 200 times more likely in patients with chronic liver disease. Ooh. So don't eat oysters if you have liver disease. That's a solid PSA. It It is like a literal PSA and that's like how most like like raw shellfish notifications like especially in the u.s are like labeled it's like like if you have chronic liver disease like please don't eat oysters like, i've only ever seen the one that's like if you're pregnant don't eat these oysters oh so let's let's move on from that and uh, some of the, let's talk about processing of shellfish let's hear it so traditionally like oyster processing has been like about preserving them as they are obviously like a highly perishable product so a lot of that is about keeping them cold, obviously, like for transport. But also there's like canning and smoking. So more recently, we are seeing more and more uh, post-harvest processing methods being used to add value to oysters, which like kind of like chicken. Hmm. So uh, as of 1989, you could get individually quick frozen oysters. Like still in the shells? Yeah. Ooh, Weird. It is weird. So they claim to maintain the flavor and appeal, but with added convenience. So you can just like have a bunch of oysters in your freezer and then you just like boil them, I guess? I don't know. So the article didn't say how you'd consume them, but I was almost getting the impression that like you would, they would be shipped like this, like quick frozen to like a grocery store and then you could buy them like at the grocery like, store. They would like they like, half shell. be like, oh. That's kind of weird. Yeah, I don't like it. No. Um, but, like, how would we know if that was being done? I guess they'd have a sign saying previously frozen. You'd have to say. Um, so there's also heat cool pasteurization, which is a technique developed in 1995. So I just, like, have a quote to explain what it does. Uh, so it, quote, involves submerging fresh, unshucked oysters into warm water uh, about like fifty three degrees centigrade 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 Celsius 
Celsius. Why am I saying centigrade? Who am I? I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> For 24 minutes. Uh, followed by immediate cold water immersion, 15 minutes at 4 degrees Celsius. Hmm. So that basically, and that's apparently to reduce the risk of the Vibrio vulnificus. But they're not cooking them or anything, though. Like, is 53 or whatever degrees is hot enough for that? Well, it's warm water. So basically what it does... It's hot so, water, uh, let's not lie. It is. So basically what it is... So it's technically raw, but dead. Oh. So, like, it kills the oyster and, like, the bacteria, I guess. Uh, but it still maintains the, like, supposedly fresh taste uh but like it's got a longer shelf life and it actually like lowers the processing cost i guess because like you don't have to worry about shipping them like super cold this is going to be so dumb but are the oysters that we're getting just like shucked at a restaurant alive yeah they're alive until you shuck them and then when you shuck them they're dead uh they might not i think they might still be alive when you're eating them that's that's what i'm getting out of this I feel like that's actually kind of the point for some people. But I think that, like, depending on how long they sit shucked, I feel like they'd probably die. Because they're not, like, like, meant to be. Yeah, it's, like, almost Oxidized. Hmm. How do we not know all of this? <laughs> yeah. That's embarrassing. Here, let me, let oh, me look. We're going to get so many, like, comments. Um, yeah, please leave comments, but only nice ones. <laughs> You can nicely tell us how dumb we're being. Um, okay, so while you're looking up that, oysters have also been irradiated since 2005. Ew! Which apparently reduces levels of pathogenic bacteria, but has not been proven effective for a reduction of viruses. So it's just like... So we're just adding radiation for no reason? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, this is a great quote here. Not compl- not at all related, but it's the risk of running into a bad oyster is lower than people think it is. My biggest pet peeve is that people go crazy over one bad oyster, but they don't really care that hundreds of thousands of pounds of lettuce are contaminated with salmonella. That's so true. Um, so going back to like oysters and like the value adding added uh, processing. So the obvious ones are like the usual suspects. So like smoking and canning is a way to add value. Yeah. But we're also starting to see like specialty, like flavored smoked oysters. Oh. Apparently. And then there's also like convenience products aimed at consumers who are uncomfortable or unfamiliar with raw shellfish. So it's like the article I was reading showed a picture of like a prepared oyster shooter, which is like truly horrific. Like That's it's like an so oyster, lovely. like in like a little plastic like shooter cup that you like. I hate that. Huh. Okay, here, let me read you this. So yeah, uh-huh. freshly killed oysters taste better, and it's hard to tell exactly when an oyster dies because before it's served, it's shucked. It's not a gentle process. Shucking involves separating the oyster's abductor muscle from the shell. This muscle gives the oyster control over opening and closing its shell, similar to how your spinal cord helps you move. So severing their abductor muscle is almost like severing your spine. Great. Uh, most restaurants in the U.S. keep their oysters alive on ice up until the shucking process, which afterwards either leaves the oyster dead or immobile. Since they don't move around much in the first place, it's not easy to tell which. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, 
Ah, but this makes you feel better. They don't have a brain and they're not really processing pain the same way that we're feeling it. So I don't think they're feeling pain the same way you're thinking of it. Yes, we'll get there. Please continue. <laughs> um, okay, so after all of that, I'm going to like backtrack the heck and go just like talk about like oysters and like America and like the early mm. like 18th, 19th. No, 19th, 20th century. 19th, 20th century, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yes. So as we were kind of talking about, oysters were originally like a quote-unquote democratic food because they were a protein that was less expensive than meat. Like I think I saw one quote where it was saying in like England, they would like get like large oysters and cut them up and pretend that it was like a beef pie. That's actually so cute. And apparently they used to be so big that you like couldn't eat them in one bite. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the early 19th century, oyster harvesting was mostly localized, especially around, like, the growing cities, like Boston, New York, Philadelphia. 1840s saw advancements in canning technology. So that's, like, inexpensive tin-plated cans replaced glass or earthenware. So that was, like, a super big deal for oysters because it's, like, you could cram a bunch of them into these little cans, like, ship them, and it would be, like, super cheap. And, as we were talking about before, then they could stay fresh. Uh, So the Chesapeake Bay, back before they were kind of replenishing it. Oyster graveyards was a term that was used. Yeah. So it's near Baltimore. And so it was the hub for oysters, producing between 15 and 20 million bushels in the late 1800s. That's so many oysters. So many oysters. Holy. Yeah. So it was like crazy. So everything was happening around there. And so that's like, we've got canning going on in the same area. And we've also got like steamships and railroads. And it's just like, it's just going everywhere. So you can get them like in the West. So it's, we see one of the earliest mentions of canned oysters being eaten in the West uh, in Santa Fe, like on the Santa Fe Trail. Oh, cool. So it's like people are going on like this hike on like these like trails and basically moving West. Yeah. As people were doing. In I was going to say, like, hiking seems like a pretty interesting descriptor <laughs> for what I'm pretty sure is just mass migration, but anyway. <laughs> My brain is just like, yeah, they're just like going on like a nice walk, yeah, eating true. oysters. That's exactly how we describe things like the slave trade, too. It was basically just a nice like, uh, vacation on a yacht. Yeah. Mm-hmm, Please continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so as they were doing this mass migration, uh, empty oyster cans littered the trail. Ew. <laughs> like yeah like you could like they like find them they like dig them up and they're like oh yeah oyster cans so interesting as like a thing to find now oh like shitty that they were littering but interesting i mean they didn't know yeah and like they've got like all of these uh like purchase records like receipts and like bills of like lading and like goods mm. for like canned pickled and spiced oysters mm-hmm. that are available like in like the couple like stops and along the trail that's neat like, it's just, it was such a popular food. and It was like, everyone was just eating them. Interesting, too, that it's like a bit of like a, like any sort of like interesting, um, like dump site in history has such cool records. And that's kind of like a mini version of that. Yeah, exactly. So we're also seeing a big popularity of them once like, like, we've already got this migration west, but then there was a bigger migration with the gold rush. And oyster popularity, popularity was so high that by 1850 the san francisco bay was like completely stripped of its native oyster beds wow 1850 
They'd only been there for like 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is the time and the place like California in the mid 1800s that we get the Hangtown Fry. What is the Hangtown Fry? Are you aware of this dish? I am not. Please tell. So the legend is that one of the prospectors finally struck rich upon, and uh, upon returning to his hotel, he asked the barkeep for the most expensive meal on the menu. Mm. To which the cook said, it was like, okay, like that'll either be eggs or oysters. Eggs, and then, eh? Yeah, like fresh eggs. Mm. And then the miner replied, well then, like, scramble me up a whole mess of eggs and oysters and throw in some bacon. I'm starving. Aww. So that's like a a meal that you can get. I watched a YouTube video of a man making it and he was like, yeah, like this like delicious, like hearty fare. It's like, that looks like eyeballs and eggs. Like, no. I'm into it. I might look that up. Will you tell, will you tell me the name again? Hangtown Fry. Hangtown Fry. Yeah, I'm going to listen to that or find that. It's just, I don't know. I just cooked oysters. I struggle. They're not my favorite way either, but it's good to have variety. Yes, I think I've just been, what's the term, like overly conditioned mm-hmm. and elitized. So anyway, with food trends come food flimflam. <laughs> food flimflam. Okay. Food flimflam. So around the same time, faster. probably, uh, there was an, like the oyster on the half shell ruse. So because raw, fresh oysters were obviously like a pricey item, many unscrupulous saloon owners kept a couple dozen shells in cold water behind the bar so that they could put a shriveled canned oyster just like on the shell whenever an unsuspecting customer ordered them. Ooh, that's crafty and I hate it. (laughs) Like there's so many, there's... And like some of the accounts were like questionable because they're talking about like the dialogue between like the patrons and the waiters and the way that like the waiters it's like described in, like a very like pigeon like clearly like probably racialized hmm. but it's it is like a very funny thing to be like yeah like i'll just have like a dozen oysters on the half shell and like you literally get like shriveled up canned oysters like canned oysters on a shell and then like the waiter will come by and be like yeah i'm gonna need those shells back <laughs> oh But basically, by the 1920s, the oyster fad had started to die down, uh, thanks both to sanitation concerns regarding fresh and canned oysters, because early 20th century canning was not really known for high cleanliness standards. (laughs) (laughs) Oi, oi, oi. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and as we've sort of mentioned, the Chesapeake Bay and like a lot of oyster fisheries had been all but completely destroyed by like sewage and overfishing so sad so then like oysters are just like kind of like they're there but not like as much like you like you were saying it's i mean and it's actually interesting hearing about this sort of like greco-roman trajectory mm-hmm. as it nears america and so it so often in does. so many ways <laughs> not the fall of an empire But yeah, so that I like the trajectory of like, it's so ubiquitous, like everyone's eating them, they're everywhere. And then it's like, ooh, we've overfished, like, can't really do this anymore. But now we're sort of back on that upswing. So we, oysters are no longer like considered 
like a democratic food and they're quite like a luxury again which i briefly read was possibly because of like child labor what? in the 19th 20th century how oysters were so cheap because like small children were shucking like pounds and pounds a day it's like is that a thing first of all that doesn't know. seem real because the price wouldn't be dependent on how many you could shuck it would be on how many you could harvest Second of all, wouldn't it be hard for their tiny little hands to have the, like, muscle strength for it? Like, I don't know. I read it briefly and was not convinced, but I wrote it down anyway because, you know, of course. Why not? Uh, but yeah, I feel like it's probably more linked to the fact that they were overconsumed and then became rarer. Mm. Uh, but then now, like, I think, you know, it's pretty easy to grow oysters, like, actually. Like, it's... It's so interesting to learn about that and how, like, beach oysters isn't, like, a breed of them. It's just a place mm-hmm. that they were grown. Yeah. Well, but, okay, so then I, I'm basically going to... I think that, like, a lot of what has to do with oysters and their popularity and, like, the way that we think of them now is all to do with marketing. Totally. And, yeah, so basically all of the varieties of oysters we eat and buy are branded these days. So as I've said before, it's not different species. It's like all of the names and whatever you see are either related to the geography of where the oyster was produced. That's like the most common one. So like some famous, there's the Hamahamas, which are named after a river uh, on Washington's Olympic Peninsula. There's Shoal Waters, which is from uh, Willapa Bay, Fanny Bays, which mm. is off the east coast of Vancouver Island. Um... Yeah, but so, it's, is it still like one producer, cre- like farming all these oysters in farm Fanny Bay though, or like in these places? Um, I think usually. So like I know like Cushies mm-hmm. is like fully branded. Like the only person that's going to produce Cushies is the the Cushie company. The Cushie guy. It's not called Cushies. It's like one. It's this one dude who like like worked for years to like get them all ready and then he was just like yeah like this is the perfect oyster and now i'm gonna so they were just like bred to be different or he like found the perfect yeah. place to do it or yes <laughs> huh. i'm literally on oh my god their website is horrifying by the way hmm. it's like so over sexualized really oh i'm gonna look that now oh my <laughs> damn yeah, like doesn't have the guy's name, but basically it's like the one like company. And I think they grow some other kinds too, but it's yeah. Finding like you the can't... perfect oyster was impossible until now. After a decade of careful cultivation, the perfect oyster was created. Introducing Kushi oysters. I mean look, they're great oysters. Yeah, they are. Varieties, they're named from the waters in which they are found, which makes sense because as we've sort of danced around, oysters are filter feeders and they take on the terroir or marijuana <laughs> of the bay river or like what have you actually and it's very interesting like oysters are a lot like wine in a lot of ways mm. from what i was reading like it's just the way that you're like supposed to eat them like you would like the reason that i was reading where it's like you're not supposed to just like sling them back is like you wouldn't sling back a fine wine like you want to like slowly like sip some of the oyster liqueur or you want to chew on it like a little bit and like get the mouth feel and like everything that's so interesting i know and just like not to be so over the top of it but there like there is like a decent amount of like i don't want to say gatekeeping necessarily but like there is like an element to it of like the the knowledge that you need to have before going in like you need to know mm. 
like how to eat it sort of like even if you don't or like you need to know oh like this is what an oyster fork is for oh these are what all these sauces are for like you know there's there's a certain amount of like knowledge that needs to be present before you can comfortably go and like order them at a restaurant well in the way you're supposed to eat them like Mm -hmm. the ritual of it like you get your little fork you kind of loosen them up you like tilt back Mm -hmm. maybe you're like there's a certain level of like you're not really like it seems a bit uncouth to like dump a bunch of cocktail sauce yeah just in the same way you wouldn't put, like, a bunch of ice in a glass of white wine, like. Or you could do whatever the heck you want. Mm-hmm. People people might judge you for it. Yeah. Ugh, interesting. So there's this other brand of oysters called Naked Cowboy. Ah! Which is, according to one article I read, a variety of wild diver-harvested oysters sold by the Blue Island Oyster Company, which is based in New York. So when they say diver harvested, is that simply because they have, like, why would they have to do that compared to? I think that they're just, like, letting them loose and, like, letting them grow, like, on the bottom of the ocean floor. So they're probably, like, in, like, a bigger stage. But maybe they, like, harvest them really young, so it's, like, not a... Hmm. Interesting. And that's the East Coast. So I think East Coast oysters are pretty different. Like, I'm more familiar with West Coast Mm -hmm. because that's... I've gotten a lot of shit recently for liking West Coast oysters better. So, Naked Cowboy. The name comes from uh, when like the owner of the Blue Island Oyster Company met a street guitarist and literal naked cowboy who was performing in Times Square and was like, here, do you want to sign this thing? I'm going to name my oysters after you. That's so funny. Because I've heard of the Naked Cowboy. Like, I feel like everyone has. Um, but that's so interesting. Yep. So, it's a guy. He's making no money off of that, right? The article wanted you to think that he was, but I feel like the whole point of signing it and being like, your name's going to live forever now was like a, and you're not going to get any rights. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'd give you 50 bucks for the name. Oh, like some gentle Motown singer of yours. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to briefly chat about like cooked or not cooked, like Rockefeller? I mean, we've sort of like vaguely like chatted vaguely about it. it. Rockefeller, as we all know, after what's his name, Rockefeller? The guy. What is his name? I want to say it's Neil, but I know that's wrong. I was going to say Roger. Roger Rockefeller. Hang on, let me see. I mean, it's like they're a family. There's like a bunch of Rockefellers. Tyrell Rockefeller. Tyrell? Oh, it is Roger. Roger Tyrell. Is it? Good for you. I was literally making this like a hilarious joke because it sounds like such a dumb name. Oh, wait, maybe this is the wrong guy. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's not the right person. It's John. It's John Rockefeller. As you can see, my research skills are unfucking paralleled <laughs> Oh my god. What did you, how did you, oh, I can't even. I don't know. Um, yeah, so the Rockefellers. That's their oyster, because it's rich <laughs> and white like them. Yes, bechamel, spinach. Mm. Not my fave, I'm not gonna lie. It's too much. And it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like at that point, I'm trying to think what it reminds me of, where you're just like dumping a bunch of stuff on to like seem fancy, but it's actually just like, but no. Yeah. Thoughts on an oyster po' boy? I actually would love, I've never had one, but I would like to have one. Like a fried oyster sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. Would you eat that? No. Why not? Um, I feel like, 
part of the reason that I can kind of get away from the oysters, and like again, actually, the more that we've been talking about this, and especially the description of like cutting their abductor muscles to like shock them, oh. is like rough and makes me feel bad. Hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, I made my own choices, and it's fine. I'll probably eat another again. Um, but when they're like raw, there's like a because like the texture and like it's like the sliminess is not as meaty whereas I feel like when they get cooked then they're going to be mm. more like chewy and it's more like, like you're actually consuming like a flesh or something a flesh yeah, yeah it's not just like a booger <laughs> yeah you're welcome for that delicious descriptor it's true mm. no that's fair I would love an oyster pie I feel like all of those like mm. oyster like dishes and stuff like that of your were like you just never see that like where would i go to get an oyster pie you'd have to make it yourself yeah which or I- like the deep south yeah but who wants not now not ever <sighs> i mean it's not like in the future we're gonna be able to go there we're burning the entire country down and then it's just gonna be where we put our convicts the new australia so problematic yep. um oysters as aphrodisiacs mm. No, hard no. <laughs> so, actually, I've read a very interesting article about aphrodisiacs. Mm. And it just, like, went through, like, a bunch of different foods. Mm. And I'm just focusing mostly on the oysters. <laughs> uh, so, aphrodisiacs are actually as much, if not more, about promoting fertility and making babies than about just getting people in the mood. Well, isn't that with anything in terms of, like, aphrodisiacs or, like, fertility? Like, it's always about the actual end game, even if we, in modern times, don't want to discuss that. Yeah, but I think that that's always kind of left out. Like, it's more just, like, a, like the bow chicka wow wow of it all, and not, like, <laughs> like, about just, like, yeah, like, we're gonna get it on so that we can, like, have progeny. <laughs> Delightful. Because I feel like having children is not on the mind of most people who are all, like, into aphrodisia. So true. Uh, But it's really interesting, like, going back to the ancient history, because you see, like, there's a link to immortality with all of it. Mm. So it's like, yeah, like, one's name, possessions, and genes are passed down, which is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Decidedly male, megalomaniac, you. So we're an full length album. A full length album of just me like under my breath singing like shady things. <laughs> shady things about the patriarchy. Yeah. I mean, that would sell. Shades of patriarchy. Oh, <laughs> yes, please continue. <laughs> Uh, so the word aphrodisiac itself comes from Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, as we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, she rose from the sea, or more specifically, from the foam surrounding the genitals of Kronos's father, which had been severed and cast upon the no, water. No, Kronos was the father. I that the way that I have read that is the direct quote from the article because I assumed that it was Kronos is the father. Weird, because like like the. controversy around Aphrodite is technically always that she's like not really the child of Zeus she's like always like sibling like they're on the same Mm -hmm. like level kind of it's definitely Cronus's dick in the water it's it's Cronus's dick in the water I'm just okay I'm gonna but it's just like what why is it not explaining there's just too much moving on from Greek mythology (laughs) for now today Seafood is apparently linked to sex because it contains nutrients that support sexual functions. 
And quote, its aromas resemble human sex secretions. <laughs> Yuck. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm offended. <laughs> we should all be offended by that description. That's horrible. Um, also, shells look like vulvas. You doy. Love that for us. Yep. Uh, there are also uh, a bunch of old-timey European writers who claim that people were hornier during Lent when <laughs> people were just eating fish. Um, I love that so much. <laughs> it's so good. Also, maybe they were hornier during Lent because they had literally nothing else to do. Like, isn't Lent yeah. when you just, like, all you do is go to church? Like, I would be so annoyed with that. I don't know if that's, like... That's not what Lent is? It's like you just can't eat meat. <sighs> I thought you had to give something up. Yeah, meat. That's. I thought it wasn't specific, though. No, nowadays it's not specific. Oh, well. Because people will not give up meat, which is... A separate issue. No, isn't there... Didn't we talk about in the butter episode how during Lent people gave up butter, too? There was, like, a bunch of stuff you had to give up oh during Lent. Oh, my God. What a nightmare. Your girl could never. No. No. Uh, oysters themselves have been compared to both... Uh, male and female genitalia. Mm. So we've got like testicles, like obviously, mm. and and vulvas. Delicious. Real fun quote from Casanova's memoirs. Did you read this? No, please share. It's long, but I'm going to read it. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> we amused ourselves by eating oysters, exchanging them when we already had them in our mouths. She offered me hers on her tongue at the same time that I put mine between her lips. There is no more lascivious and voluptuous game between two lovers. What a sauce that is which dresses an oyster I suck from the mouth of the woman I love. It is her saliva. The power of love cannot but increase when I crush it, when I swallow it. Well, barfabetic trouble! Yeah. <laughs> that seems as good a place to any to leave this episode. I guess we're done for the day. Oh my. There's a lot to unpack there. It's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, are you just like trying to get a rise out of the reader? Like be like, right? It seems a little bit put on. Mm-hmm. And by a little, mm-hmm. I mean a lot. <laughs> it's like, ew, like swapping oysters. <sighs> just keep your food in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <sighs> And like, can you imagine... Like, a man just comes up to you, like, you think, like, it's just, like, your boyfriend. Like, you're just gonna, like, he's just gonna, like, kiss you on the lips. Like, it's just, like, nice. And no, he squirts a fucking oyster into your mouth. I would walk away. I would leave. Yeah, that's a war I would leave, leave my belongings and run. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, I'm just picturing his, like, epitaph. No, what is it? You know, like, your tombstone. It's, like, Casanova. Lover. Writer. Poor table manners have her. <laughs> yes. yes. Just gnarly. Gnarly. Oof. All right. We have now gotten to the point where we have to discuss the Slate article from April of 2010, A Case for Eating Oysters as a Vegan. Let's please, let's get into this. All right. So this is Christopher Cox. Couldn't be more aptly named for an article about oysters. <laughs> so the quote. Even if that animal looked like a bunny rabbit crossed with a puppy, it would be a-okay to hack it into pieces for your dinner plate. (laughs) 
Luckily for those of us who still haven't gotten over the death of Bambi's mother, the creature I'm thinking of is decidedly less cuddly. It's an oyster. This is a strong opening. Um, okay, that's not like the full, like, I don't think that's the full opening of the article, but it's like, sir, I'm sorry, but if you were still agonizing over Bambi's mom's death, I doubt you would have used the word hack, like, to describe, like, a bunny rabbit. Why are grown adults so into Disney? That's the other question. (laughs) We don't have time for that. So basically, the thesis of this article is that oysters are not harmful to the environment and they don't feel pain, so vegans shouldn't have any ethical qualms about eating them. I feel like, and this is said as a non-vegan, but I feel like the most problematic part of this article is just, like, why the fuck do vegans, or anyone in general, just, like, anyone, why the heck do we want to tell people how to live their lives? Like, I appreciate the information should be out there for people, but, like, let's not make it quite so, like, cut and dry. Like, nope, now you can definitely do it. You should, 100%. Like, no issues there. Like, let people decide if they're upset by it. I mean, okay, there's a couple things about the article. Mm. The worst part about the article for me is, like, the smugness, Mm, which I'm going to get to in a second. Like, the writing is just, like, so obnoxious. Mm -hmm. Uh, But actually, I think, like, the thing that is good and, like, redeeming about the article is that it is basically saying, like, do whatever you want, like, eat something. Mm. Like, that is kind of what it's saying. Like, it's, it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm just distracted by the smugness in there because it seemed very much, like, well, there, I've it's, made up your mind for you. I've given you all the facts. Like, no, you can decide if you're upset by, you know, the thought of potentially eating something with, you know, if you feel gross about the sand maybe being bones, that's on you. I mean, I, I have a lot of questions about the writer. It's like, why did you become vegan in the first place? Like, yeah. like if you're automatically like, trying to find a workaround, like, I just... That's the real thing, is like... Which, like, that's fine. Like, yeah, you're right, like... Oysters are a source of protein that is, as we've kind of like seen, like good for the environment. And yeah, like it's not as sentient, but we'll get there. Mm. Uh, So yeah, so the, so Cox really enjoys uh, noting that Peter Singer, who is an author of the vegan ethicist treatise, Animal Liberation. Sorry. Yeah. He sounds a bit dweeby. But anyway, so he, in his, like, in a first uh, iteration of that book, agreed that oysters could be eaten as, like, like for vegans. Mm. But then Singer revised his opinion, stating, quote, one cannot without and with any confidence say that these creatures do feel pain. So one can equally have little confidence in saying they do not feel pain. That's very fair. And it's like, yeah, it's true. Whereas, like, I don't know, Cox is very smug about being like, he's going back and forth. Like, meh, meh, meh. It sounds, starts to sound like the snide comments, like, my elementary school peers would make to try and, like, logic trap me in my, like, being vegetarianism. Oh, I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. It's fine, because it was, like, just like, like, why do you care? <laughs> but it's like, would you eat, like, uh, like, popsicle and i was like yeah like i'd have popsicle like what if the popsicle had meat it's like well then i wouldn't eat it (laughs) but (laughs) oh dear so but so cox is like the way that he's kind of responding to singer's argument is like we also can't state without with complete confidence that plants do or do not feel pain well bitch you have to eat something exactly it's like oh like who okay like draw the line somewhere the abductor muscles are being severed. Jesus. 
so yeah, basically, people shoot whatever they want. And be less smug. And be less smug, just like calm down. Says us, two of the smuggest white women I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am very smugly telling everyone to be less smug. Yeah, it's great. As I tell people to calm down, as I'm never calm. There is no calm in my body. There's no calm. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. It's a lot to unpack there. That's a lot to unpack. I thought that this was going to be a short episode, and it is not. It's never a short episode because I can't keep my mouth shut. And you encourage me. I know. I know. That's fine. Um, there is some admin to attend to. Oh, yes. Uh, everybody. This is our last episode of the season. Not forever, though. Just the season. Yes. We're going on a brief hiatus. Probably until January. Yeah, because... I would say January. Just, it, it gets really busy at work. We're tired. Like... Nobody has time in December. Seasonal affective disorder hits me hard. You know, just like the usual shit. Um, But we are going to be doing a couple of really fun, like, little bonus episodes kind of in the midst. Uh, Not necessarily on, like, food, like, one specific food as we've been doing or a dish, but uh, more about the culture surrounding food and eating. Yeah. And the other thing that Marika can't remember, but we might do that too. Well, it's in the same vein. Hmm. So yeah, so keep an eye out for those. And we're going to be back with a very fun season two, focusing all on fermentation. Woohoo! Yes. So we have some good stuff coming up and we're very excited to share it with you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, keep subscribed. Give us a nice comment. Yeah, really subscribe. Make a nice comment so that my mom doesn't think I'm a huge loser. And follow our Instagram, which is Pantry Staples Pod. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, like, interact with us. Tell us what your thoughts are on things. <laughs> We're yeah. curious about if anyone's actually listening. Yeah. Your f- problematic faves signing off. Yeah. We will talk to you soon. In 2021. Weird, weird. Hopefully it'll be a better year. Well, uh, yeah, everything's magically going to get better as soon as the clock hits midnight, don't you know? Yeah, that's always how it works. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.